You're listening to Do the Damn Thing, Episode 9. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Do the Damn Thing podcast. My name is Liz Heron, and I am your personal cheerleader, helping you get off your butt and on your way to trying something new, facing your fears, or realizing your dreams. No matter what your damn thing is, whether it's asking for a raise at work, organizing your house, getting out of that toxic relationship, or pursuing your passion project, this show will provide you with real-world, tangible tips and inspiration so you can live the life you deserve. If you're ready to do the damn thing, then you have come to the right place. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Now let's jump in. Okay, friends, this week we are really earning that E for explicit. We're talking about SEX, specifically how to talk to your kids about sex. Have you started talking to your child about sex? Do you know when you should start talking about it? Do you break out into hives at the mere thought of talking to your child about sex? If so, you're not alone. I break out into the nervous sweats whenever the subject comes up. And as a single mom to a tween boy, it comes up a lot. I'm so afraid I'm going to say the wrong thing and scar us both for life, which is why I reached out to Dr. Dolly Clock. Dr. Clock is a board-certified family medicine physician and founder of Adolescence. Dr. Clock leads parenting seminars and parent-child workshops on the topics of puberty, human development, and child and adolescent health and behavior. She has over 15 years of clinical experience in the field of family medicine and is really passionate about helping parents and kids connect over tricky topics. I'm so excited to have her on the show this week, and I have a lot of questions. So you might be able to hear me scribbling notes during the show. I didn't want to miss a single thing she was saying, but don't worry. You don't have to take as many notes. Just head to dothedamthingshow.com and click on show notes for highlights and tips, as well as a list of all the books and resources Dolly and I mentioned in this episode. I hope you find this interview as informative and reassuring as I did. Cue the salt and pepper and let's talk about sex. So yeah, so let's dive in and and talk about sex with, you know, talking about sex with talking with your kids. About <laughs> That's a different kind of talking about sex. <laughs> I know, I know. It's the kind. I was thinking about it today and I thought like, gosh, I'm really, um, I'm really dreading the change. And I don't mean like menopause. Like, I mean the change, like the puberty change. Oh, um, yes. Because. How old are your kids? Ben. Uh, so I have one. Ben turned 12 just a couple of weeks ago. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, he's kind of, you know, he's. I guess he's like five, two now, but he, um, you know, he kind of stinks. <laughs> he's yeah. got the smell. He's got the puberty smell, but like everything else hasn't happened yet. And every once in a while, like he might, he'll say to me like, Oh, did my voice just crack or, but it, we're, I don't feel like we're a full blown, but he is in middle school. And, yeah. and he's in grade, so I think it's um, thinking about it. It's time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's right on. He's right on time because boys, boys start puberty between the ages of nine and 14, which is a huge range. But yeah. anywhere in that age range is when they typically start. And, and you already identified one of the early signs that they may be starting puberty, which is the body odor. Yeah. <laughs> you can't miss it once you, <laughs> once you smell it you're like okay yeah. yep and he's an active happening. kid and it's it's one of those things like when he'll get in the car after like baseball practice and all of a sudden it's like what is that smell like mm -hmm. I'm like oh. you roll down the windows a little yes. especially if you have the you know half the team in your car oh, gosh. <laughs> yes yes well before we jump into that um, I would love to kind of just talk about your background and how you got started with adolescence. Oh, sure. Okay. So my background is I'm a family medicine physician. 
Um, and I worked in sort of a traditional type of family medicine practice for a large organization and, you know, seeing patients, everything from infants to the elderly, real, you know, cradle to grave kind of medicine, um, both in the outpatient setting and in some hospital medicine as well. And it was great and wonderful. Um, but there was this part of me that wanted to do something different and wanted to um, do something a little bit more creative and where I could sort of use, you know, enter like the business world and think about marketing and think about other things in a different sort of way. And really what happened was as my kids were getting older, I started to get more and more questions from folks in my community. So friends or people who knew I was a physician and they would ask me, questions around a fairly specific group of topics, um, <laughs> mostly about, you know, how and when to start conversations with younger kids about, you know, birds and bees type stuff. Do I have to answer them? Are they too young to know? When do I tell them? And questions about puberty and how do you bring this up? And then a whole host of adolescent topics around, um, you know, the teenagers. And, you know, this was always my kind of pet subject matter as a physician, I always loved taking care of kids and kind of letting them know about what changes were coming with their bodies. I had lots of patients that were teens and young adults, um, you know, treated lots of sexually transmitted infections and, um, you know, diagnosed lots of unplanned pregnancies. And, uh, you know, there were just so many conversations. And really, what I realized was it makes such a difference when parents are able to openly communicate with their kids around these really sensitive topics. And it makes such a difference when a teen, you know, has, has an STD or they did get pregnant or they are seeking birth control. It makes a really huge difference if they can come in to their physician with their parent sort of as a team and the team and they've talked about it and they have questions together and they're open it feels so different than than the scared teen who's able to come on their own to seek care for things of a sexual nature. Um, uh, but that, you know, they don't feel like they can talk to their parents and they're nervous and they're scared. And so I just really felt passionate about helping parents learn, you know, feel feel empowered enough to start these conversations and to start them early, because the earlier you start, the easier it is. Yeah. And that was going to be my next question was like, how, how early do you start? And, and how do you start? That? Well, I think I mean, it, it really, it can start as early as infancy, right? It's sort of there's so much that our children learn from us about sexuality and about bodies and our attitudes toward bodies, you know, from the way we act even more than what we say. And so, you know, when we're talking about even infants, you know, infants who, who are exploring the world and exploring their bodies and things, they start to realize if I touch this, wow, that feels good. And, you know, you're changing a diaper and, and even as young as that, you know, there's the parents who, who will, you know, take the child's hand away because they're fondling their genitalia when really they're just exploring and trying to see what, how things feel. And it's just a very natural process. So, so it starts from the beginning, really. And then, yeah. you know, as they get a little bit older into the toddler years, you know, starting with 
using proper anatomical terms for body parts, you know, so they're not, not everything is a cutesy name. And, you know, know, we, we, we're so good about teaching little kids, you know, where your elbow is and where your toes are, but, you know, nobody wants to talk about vulva or, you know, penis. And And so just, you know, getting comfortable with that. So really the conversations start early. And when you start early as a parent, you have the advantage of being able to meet your child where they are developmentally and not having to have just gear up for this one all-encompassing sex talk that's just uncomfortable for everybody. Well, yeah, that's what I was thinking is like, if you're not kind of having those, those kinds of either conversations or just that kind of like openness that when it does Mm -hmm. come time, like it's just awkward for everybody. Like even, right. Even the child, it's like, why are we talking about this all of a sudden? It's so awkward. I mean, even for <laughs> even for me, like you know, and I t- do this all the time. But there's certain conversations that they just they're just going to be awkward, and you have to accept that too as a yeah. as a parent. But and you know, this is this is tough for a lot of parents. You know, many people didn't um, they didn't grow up with parents who were open talking about these subjects, right? Yeah. And so that modeling wasn't there for them in terms of how a parent speaks to a child. Um, some people, you know, perhaps they have a history of um, sexual assault or trauma of some time. And so it's really hard for them to sort of enter this area um, yeah. with their own children. And so, you know, we have to be sensitive to that, that this is not just, you know, so easy for everyone. Yeah. Um, but but it's it's so important. Our kids need to hear from us. It's a really important part of the parent-child relationship, I think. Absolutely. And I think one of the other challenges is like, I'm, you know, I'm a single mom and it's not like I can kind of, you know, if my son asked me a question, it's not like I'd be like, why don't you wait until you're at your dad's this weekend to talk about why? that? Or, you know, it's like, it's, and now I've got to talk about stuff that like, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not a boy. I didn't go through puberty as a, as a boy, <laughs> you know, it's like, and you're right? kind of, for me, it's like I grapple with stuff that's like, okay, um, like, how do I say this? Or how much do I say? Or like, yeah, do I like conference in his dad and be like, do you do you want to handle this? Right? Well, it's, you bring up such an important point. And I will tell you that many young boys uh, actually are who boys who have a uh, you know, two parents at home and maybe two different gender parents at home, oftentimes they actually feel more comfortable sort of at this age, your son's age, 12, they often feel more comfortable talking to their moms. And I think part of the reason is just traditionally speaking, of course, every family is totally different, but many times the moms are the ones who are just, you know, a little bit emotionally more available and are there. And they're the ones, you know, helping with the boo-boos from the early age and the band-aids and the rashes and this and that. And so it's just a natural extension of that. Um, So I think, I think that is a misconception that many parents have that, uh, kids need to hear from a parent of the same gender. And that's, that's not the case. And, and, you know, on the flip side, I've heard amazing stories about, you know, men who, who have handled conversations about periods um, so beautifully with their daughters yeah. uh, who are maybe single dads. And in fact, I have a great story. I can tell you if you, if you want, yeah. when we have time, um, there was, a, it was actually a, a good friend of mine from medical school and uh, she grew up um, in a situation where her parents were divorced and, and her parents, um, 
she spent most of the year with her mom. And then in the summer, she would be with her father. And so this one particular summer, she was visiting her father uh, in New York City, and she got her first period. And she was so upset <laughs> that this happened while she was there with her dad instead of at home with her mom. And it brought up, you know, all sorts of thoughts about the divorce and everything. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, gathered the nerve to to talk to him about it. And he said, just wait right here. I'll be right back. And he ran off, left the apartment. And because it's New York City, <laughs> you know, there's a drugstore in every corner. And yes. he was back within 10 minutes and basically put the entire feminine hygiene, you know, aisle <laughs> onto her bed and says, I talked to some women. They said, you might want to oh start with this, gosh. but here's this. And then he said to her, this is the amazing part. He said, once you've got this all sorted out, he said, I want you to pick out the nicest dress that you brought with you because I'm going to take you to a really special dinner tonight because I'm so proud of the woman that you're turning into. And I'm so happy this happened while you were here with me. This is a true story. So so it, it, it doesn't matter what gender you are. Really, the key is just who's, you know, who's going to be comfortable talking with their kids. And ideally, if if kids are lucky enough to have two parents in their lives, whether they're living in the same household or not, if they can hear from both of them, that's all all for the best as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I love that because I know I had a similar situation that like my parents were divorced and my dad lived, it was kind of opposite. My dad lived here in California and, you know, my, um, and I spent the school year in New York and mm-hmm. I remember just, I think I was probably like 14 or 15 or so. And, you know, had my period and didn't want to go to the beach. And of course, didn't want to announce why I didn't want to go to the beach that weekend. I just, you know, it was like, I don't want to go. And I remember when he figured out, he was like, when did that happen? Why didn't you call me? Oh. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I remember I was like, you know, being 14, 15 years old, just being like, why would I call you? And he was like, that's a big deal. Like, I wish you would have called oh, me. That is so sweet. Yeah, there's no way in a million years would I have told my dad about my period oh, when yeah, I was growing no. up. Never. Yeah, in fact, I barely talked to my mom about it. Just like the most rudimentary conversation to get the get the stuff I needed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's so funny. Well, for parents who are kind of um, you know, taking that leap, is there, what kind of things, you know, do you recommend kind of keeping in mind when having, or when starting these conversations? Well, I think the, the most important thing is to just listen to your child. And, you know, if I, okay, if the child comes to you with a question, this is, this is golden, this is fantastic. And this is where a lot of parents I don't want to say mess up, but they mess up because (laughs) especially when the kids are younger, what happens is let's say, let's say it's a six-year-old, you know, asking how babies are made or something. And the parent goes into this freak out mode, like you're too young to know what, you know, I'm uncomfortable talking about this. And they say something like, um, oh, I'll, I'll tell you about that when you're older, or I'll tell you about that later. We can't talk about that right now or something like that. And, and then they never come back to it or they wait way too long to come back to it. And when you do that more than once or twice or three times, the kid gets a very definite message that there's something about this subject matter that mom or dad or whoever is not comfortable with, or there's something bad about this. And so they will eventually stop asking and they'll get their questions answered elsewhere. 
which is what you kind of would like to avoid, especially yeah. when they're younger, because you know where they go nowadays. <laughs> and it's called Mr. Google. And yeah. so, um, so I think um, we're going to talk about that. Yeah, we'll talk about that. So um, I think that it's really important to uh, meet them where they are. So when a child asks a question, even if you're not ready to answer it in that moment, or maybe it's not appropriate to answer that in the moment because there's company around that you you know don't want involved yeah. in this conversation, like the younger sibling or family friends or whomever. Um, I think the important thing to say is that is such a great question. And then you can say, what made you ask that question? Why are you asking? Because sometimes they're not even asking the question you think they're asking. Yeah. And now you're launching into like the full on, you know, <laughs> sexual mechanics and the whole thing. And really, that's not what they were wondering about at all. Yeah. Um, so I think being open, um, reflecting back on them, so that you can really meet them where they are developmentally. And then when yeah. you are ready to answer, just to answer as succinctly as possible. They are not looking for a lecture. What they're looking for is to see that you're, you know, taking them seriously and that you're going to be askable, which is, should be like every parent's biggest goal is to just be askable on this subject matter. Um, and, and then you can engage, you can give them a little bit. And for most children, they'll be satisfied with that little bit. Some are going to have follow-up questions and then you can go from there. So yeah. I think that is the key is to really just meet them where they are. And when you start early in yeah. you know, elementary school or preschool, and then you have time to build because where we have to get eventually is so much more than just the mechanics of sex, yeah. right? We need to go look, talk about intimacy we need to talk about consent and so much more and so that that takes time to build that trust and to to get into those more complex conversations it's funny because I remember the first time that my son asked me about you know where do babies come from mm -hmm. and he was probably about I want to say like three or four he was in preschool and I remember we were like maybe like a pumpkin patch or we were somewhere and you know he just all of a sudden asked me like where do babies come from and I it's so poetic in a pumpkin patch I know and I, and I remember my my mom was there and and she just kind of looked at me like okay let's see how you you know get out of this and I was so kind of like oh no and I, I was like well where do you think babies come from yeah. and without missing a beat he was like New York and I oh, said, <laughs> and I said, to him, I was like, yep. I goes, yep. Some babies, you know, were born in New York and some babies were born in, you know, like you were born in Los Angeles. Some babies were born in Texas. I'm like, yep, babies are born all over the place. And he just kind of like nodded like, yeah, that's kind of what I thought. And I was like, See? okay. And I was like, I just remember being like, oh, thank God. Sigh <laughs> of relief. I was just going to say that at that, you handled that beautifully. Cause again, that's all, that's all he was wondering about in that moment. But it is around age four where um, where kids typically start talking about this. And there's a, a sexually sexuality educator by the name of Deborah Rothman, who has a couple, she has a few books out and they're great. I'm trying to, now I'm going to blank on the, on the names. Um, Talk to me first is one of them. And I'm not sure if it's in this book where she breaks it down, but she does this really wonderful job of talking about the questions that young children ask at certain ages and why they're asking what they're actually asking. So age four is the age where kids often will ask, where did I come from? Mm -hmm. And it's because at that age, they are starting to think about 
before and after. Remember that concept at that age? It's so confusing for kids, right? And so maybe they're seeing pictures of themselves around the house um, as babies. And then there's maybe a picture of mom pregnant, or maybe there's, you know, picture of parents, you know, pre-children. And they're like, wait a second, here I am, but where was I before? And what they're actually asking at that point is, is she describes it, it's really a geography question. And the answer is actually the uterus. And that's your opportunity (laughs) to talk about the uterus, regardless of how this particular baby was conceived, right, whether the child was adopted, or whether there were infertility treatments involved, or whatever, all babies today come from a uterus, right? That's the last place they land before before they're (laughs) born. And so, and so that's their question. And then the they may not ask the next question for another year, or they might ask it right away. But then the next question is, well, how did I get out of there? And that's the transportation question. And that's the birth question, which again, regardless of your own, you know, birth story, or your child's birth story, and that's an opportunity to sort of talk about the vagina and birth and the birth canal and all of that. And then it's usually not till around age six, that most children will start to be thinking about well, how'd I get in there in the first place? Yeah. And these are the kids who are actually asking, right? And not all of them will ask. Some kids are big talkers, others are not. And so you're going to have to adjust depending on on what you have at home. Yeah. And I think it's funny because, you know, talking about all these different ages and when when to start and, and all the different kind of markers along the way, right? It used to be that it was the idea that there was like the talk. Right. And it was like a one-time conversation. And yeah, right. It's like you either got all your information or none of it or. And even if you got all of it, you wouldn't remember it. Yeah, right. Because it was just like this one time thing. And then after that, like, we're not talking about it again. And it just strikes me as like now it's it, it's it's ongoing, right? It's like it starts earlier. It goes. I feel like even, you know, my son said something the other day about, you know, they're about to have their sex ed talk in in school. Uh-huh. And I said something about like, oh, do you have any questions? And he just kind of shrugged. You know, and he was like, no, I know all, I know all about sex. And I was like, well, you don't know all about it. Like, (laughs) you know, yeah. And he he was like, what do you have? It's like nothing. Like, it's just like, well, I mean, there'll be, it's just what I was like, please. Like, I feel like I'm still learning about stuff, but. (laughs) Right. We, no one knows everything about it. Going. Yeah. Yeah. But they do, they feel like they do know a lot and maybe, you know, some of them do know more than you might think they know. Um, and others are totally clueless, but of course there's all sorts of misinformation at that age. So it's great if there's a good program at the school, but that's also a wonderful opportunity like you did, you know, if you know your child is going through the human development program at their school, that's such a great opportunity to say, you know, do you have any questions? And if they say no, you know, to follow it up with, okay, great. But you know, just know that I love talking about this stuff, or I'm open to talking about it. I want you to feel comfortable. You can ask me anything if something's not clear. But then I think what really, really helps is to have some good age appropriate books on hand um, that you can sort of around that time, just lay around, put it in the room, let them know that you have it. Some kids are really into these books, and they will be very happy to read it with a parent. Others are much more private about it. So for those, it's great to just sort of the bathroom. I love I love those books in the bathroom, because they're, it's a private place. And they don't, you know, no one else in the family knows if they're looking at it or not looking at it can just sort of live in there. And then they have a good resource um, available to them or in their room, you can show them where where you're going to put it on their bookshelf or whatever the case may be, but just so they have another resource to go to. Yeah, that's a great idea. 
and you know, to your earlier point too, it's like there's so much information, right? Because you you can't always control the information that your kids are getting outside, and especially with smartphones and in the digital age, it's it's kind of everywhere. And I'd love to talk a little bit about that, about how do we, you know, talk about whether you know, I. I'm almost dreading asking the question of whether or not my son has ever seen any sort of, you know, porn or any of those sorts of things, because, you know, I've had a friend who said that her son did like on a play date, like he doesn't even have a smartphone, but she found out that on a play date, a friend who did have a smartphone showed him something and, and, you know, they had to have that conversation much earlier than she was expecting. That's right. Well, I, this is so common. It actually was one of my biggest surprises after I started adolescence, um, because somehow this didn't come up as much in my, you know, traditional clinic setting. Um, but once I started this business, I think what happened was I had posted a couple articles, maybe on my Facebook or my Instagram page. And, and I started getting these emails and phone calls from parents of young kids saying, what do I do? I haven't even talked about puberty and sex yeah. yet. And my kid has seen porn. And it's, it's exactly like you described, you know, it's typically at a play date, or um, they just stumble upon it, they're doing, you know, so much homework now happens on computers. And some people have it all locked down with filters, but then you can't actually get the homework done. So then you lift up the filters. And (laughs) and next thing you know, you're googling something about balls and, you know, like not that kind of a ball, but then this other kind of ball comes up. Anyway, and or they go down the YouTube rabbit hole. And it's like, you know, yeah, next thing you know, they keep kind of recommending videos. The next thing you know, they're looking at something you're like, no, 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 that's not a Fortnite dance you know, video or whatever. That's right. It's just the rec- and the, and it's the autoplay function, right? Yeah. Whether you want to go there or not, the next video starts playing. So I think it's really, really critical for parents um, to, to have this conversation again early. And, and as soon as the child is going to be on any type of a device, whether they have a phone or it's the family computer at home, I think the conversation needs to be hey, you're going to be on the computer. And by the way, when they're very young, really the parents should be supervising. You you need to, you need to be right there with them, but eventually it's just not realistic. You're not going to be there all the time. And so what is important to communicate to kids is that when you're on these devices, sometimes, and this happens to me as an adult too, sometimes these pictures will pop up or you'll accidentally click on something, not knowing what it was going to be thinking it's one thing and it's something else. And sometimes those pictures are going to seem strange. Maybe there'll be something that looks violent. Maybe they'll have something to do with people's bodies. It could be all sorts of stuff. And, and sometimes that is scary to some kids. And I just want you to know that if that ever happens, please let me know so we can talk about it. And you make it very like, this is going to happen because it is going to happen. Is I, I think today it's impossible to have it not happen at some point. And they, there's a lot of numbers that get thrown around. It's hard to do great research on children and pornography for obvious ethical reasons. But um, the age that gets um, that I've seen written about the most is, is that age 11 is thought to be these days the average age that that kids are first exposed to pornography online, internet porn, and it's. And it's not that they're looking for it necessarily at that age, but they're just stumbling upon it or some, or their friend has seen it and thinks, wow, this is amazing. And they want to show them. And, and, you know, the, the, the issue is that when we're talking about the pornography, that's so easily accessible these days online, this is very different than the 
pornography that was available when I was 12 years old, which I didn't see at that age, but what was out there, you know, was, you know, the Playboy, like somebody had, you know, found their dad's Playboy in, in the drawer in the nightstand, yeah. right? Or maybe somebody got access to the, the VHS tape of the one port, right? But yeah. now what's available is just endless. And it's the stuff that would have been in the back, back room and the, in the, the video store, yeah. sex store, right? <laughs> and, and, and now it's just, and, and unfortunately there's some studies I've seen that show that, you know, up to 88% of, of, um, of today's, you know, internet pornography depicts either violence against women or degrading acts toward women. And so this is where it becomes a really important conversation and why we want to, we just want our kids to understand that we're, we're okay with talking about with them if, if they come across something. And then as parents, we also have to understand that kids are curious. This is natural for them to be curious about bodies and natural for them to be curious about how sex works, which is another reason to have those conversations at home and have them earlier than you might otherwise think you, you need to, because it's much harder to explain basic mechanics of sex and how babies are made when they've already seen, you know, this more graphic imagery. Yeah. I was going to say it's, it's hard to play catch up on that sort of stuff, right. To kind of like, unfortunately go back to the the basics. Yes. Yeah. And so you, so you kind of live this, right? You've got, yes. uh, how old are your children? I have a 15 year old boy and I have an 11 year old daughter, although she would tell you she's almost 12. <laughs> of course. Right? The 11, 11 <laughs> and a half. I want to be clear on that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm absolutely, you know, in the in the thick of it. And you know, my poor kids, that's the big joke in our house is that they're going to end up on the therapist couch someday, because mom was constantly like, you know, they're always like, Oh, gosh, not another adolescence lesson. And I'm like, yep, yep it's coming your way. But I was like, are you, yeah, you try out your material on them. <laughs> the poor things, but we do have a really great, very open relationship. And it's funny, because my my husband is a physician as well, and he's a he's a cardiologist. And I remember at one point a year or two ago asking my son about a particular, you know, pubertal milestone yes. type thing. And 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 he told me, and I'm like, Oh, have you talked to dad? And he said, he said, Mom, you're the authority. I'll talk to him when I have a cardiac issue, you know? And I thought, okay. Oh All right, so this goes to your point that it doesn't, it doesn't have to be the parent of the same gender, yeah. right? It's whoever's more comfortable talking about it should take on most of it. But ideally everyone's, everyone's talking to some extent. Yeah, no, that's great. And like for, for me, it's, yeah, the constant conversations we've did, there was a book and I'll, I'll have to kind of look it up too and, and link it in the show notes and, and maybe we can kind of link some other resources from your site as well sure. and some books. But yeah, it was to your point about keeping things very matter of fact, because again, Ben was kind of asking a bunch of questions and we had kind of talked a little bit about, I think the way we talked about it was like, we called them like swimmers, like sperm was swimmers. And it was like, oh, you're the fastest swimmer. Like everyone yeah, yeah. was the fastest swimmer and they all kind of, you know, won, won the race. <laughs> and you know, that, Love it. that then um, kind of the next question was, well, like, how, yeah, like, how did they get in there? Or like, how did they get to swimming? You know, that sort of stuff. And there was a book called It's So Amazing. Oh, yeah. Roby Harris. Yes. Yes. And that yes. was so very, like, matter of fact. And to your point of just kind of like, it kind of normalized a little bit. Of, it was kind of like, oh, some people, you know, they were talking about like body hair, for example. Right. And, and oh, right. some people 
you know, shave their armpit or and leg hair. And some people don't like either way is fine. Like it was this very like, whatever you do. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, you know, and then it was like, Oh, mom, do you shave your armpits? It's like, well, yeah, in the summertime or like, you know, it's like, but you don't have to, or like, you know, I have a friend of mine who um, was a swimmer and like, he used to shave his like chest hair and stuff. And so that, that kind of idea that like, yeah, guys shave, girls shave, you know, some people do, some people don't like it kind of whatever floats your boat, like not seem so I think like scary or rigid or I think goes a long way sometimes. Right. Just normalizing the whole experience and realizing that this is universal and everybody goes through it and how you deal with it is sort of up yeah. to you. And um, yeah, those books are good. Roby Harris is the author and, and she has a whole series of them and they're great and full of, you know, fun illustrations. Yes. They're very <laughs> thorough. They're very thorough. There are some that are a little bit, if you want to like get to the point quicker, there, there are a couple others yeah. um, that, that do that. There's a these Osborne books, um, what's happening to me. And there's one for girls and one for boys. And I like those because, and these are on, on my website. I actually have a resources page and and I have on their books for parents and for, and for kids. Um, those what's happening to me books I like because, uh, they talk about puberty. Um, and it's sort of targeted toward, you know, the girl's book is meant mostly for girls, but then it also talks about what happens in puberty for boys and, and both of the, both the male and female version do that. And then they talk about how babies are made. So it kind of covers everything, you know, more succinctly for younger kids. There's one called, um, changing you by Dr. Gail Saltz that I like that, um, that kind of, again, goes through puberty and sex, but in a more succinct way that I do love the Roby Harris books. In fact, that's what I gave my son when, when he was, when he was 10 and, and actually I gave it to him, I think first when he was nine and he was just not interested in it. And then I have a funny story about this book. So he, I I busted it out again when he was 10. I said, Hey, remember this book? Whatever happened? And, And I was cooking dinner in the kitchen and I put it, we have a little breakfast area off the kitchen and he was in there um, and he was looking at the book. And so I'm around the corner cooking and I hear him go, huh? And I was like, oh, oh, this is great. We're having the aha moment. Like, this is just what I was hoping for. I'm so excited, right? Even though we've already talked about this stuff, clearly it didn't like fully yeah. click with him yet. So I go in there expecting to see the page that I think he would be looking at. And instead he's looking, she has these illustrations of, um, twin pregnancies sort of like a cross-section cartoony where you see the babies inside the mom's uterus and and I can't remember exactly how it's depicted in the book but but my son who was you know very like a little intellectual type at that age and he said according to this book if both babies heads are down then they're boys but if one is up and one is down and I was like no 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 (laughs) you know so I think that actually illustrates an important point which is kids this is like so wild yeah. and out of the box for them, right? So they really are, this is why it cannot be one yeah. conversation because they their little brains are processing what they're ready to process and it's not always the full picture or the full story. And so you need to keep coming back and readdressing and seeing what new questions have come up and and just little, little bits at a time, yeah. little bits. Yeah, that's such a, uh, I love that. It is. I mean, it's, I like the idea of it not, you don't have to be prepared for just one conversation. And I think 
um, so many times parents put so much pressure on themselves to kind of yes. answer all those questions or, you know, again, right, go from like point A to point B or not even point B, but point Z, right, to kind of give everything when it's like, okay, maybe they don't need to know or, you know what I mean? Like to your point, like maybe they're not ready to process the entire the entirety of like sexual right. education <laughs> and parents. I mean, I just, I, I work with so many parents and I do this sort of in a private setting too, as well as, you know, seminars and groups. And I mean, parents are amazing today. I just feel like the, compared to like the parents you know, when we were growing up, I mean, everyone just wants to get it right and they want to do what's best for their kids. And it's so fantastic, but sometimes it ends up shutting them down because they, they, they don't want to, say something or do something until they know they're going to get it just right. Yes. And then you lose these precious, precious moments. And isn't it so much easier to think of, oh, I don't have to come up with the perfect discussion for this big lecture on how babies are made. I get to just along the way when things come up or someone asks a question or we see a pregnant woman down walking down the street, you know, you can just have these yeah. little... 30 second, one minute conversations. And then over time, that's so much more valuable than the one 10 minute big conversation and everyone leaves the room like slightly nauseated and sweating. <laughs> <laughs> or wondering what the heck happened? Like, what, what were they talking about? You know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Well, Dolly, thank you so much for talking with me today. This has been super uh, informative and fun. So oh, good, Liz. it was so, such a great, I had a great time talking with you and I hope it will be helpful for others. And, um, it's, it's just a wonderful, the wonderful topic. It <laughs> as is, awkward as it, it can is. be. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you loved what you heard, please subscribe, share with your friends or leave a review on iTunes. As we grow the show, I would love to hear from you. What damn thing did you accomplish this week? Is there a topic you're dying for me to explore on the show? Be sure to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Do The Damn Thing Show and let me know. I can't wait to connect with you and hear all about the action you're taking in your life. In the meantime, get out there and do the damn thing.